We've reached the end of streak week here on the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. It's day eight. It's the eighth episode, and it's episode 163, the interview with Matt Sexton. Happy Father's Day out there if you're listening on June 21st. If not, well, happy past Father's Day then. But we have, like I mentioned, Matt Sexton, who broadcasts with the Northern Kentucky University Norse, also a freelance writer at the Wilmington News Journal and head coach of girls tennis at Blanchester High School. Now, you might be wondering, why did I do an eight-episode, eight-day rush like this? Well, like I mentioned previously in these intros, I don't like sitting on interviews. Like, if I do an interview, I like to get it out as quickly as I can. Now, I don't, I'm not saying this is the best way. It's just saying, you know, this is what I wanted to do. So, I want to say thank you to all the eight guests that I had. It's been a lot of fun recording all these, and hopefully it's a lot of fun listening to all these. Will I do something similar like this again? I don't know. just really depends if people liked it or not. I know eight episodes in eight days, that's a lot of content to ingest, but at the same time, like I mentioned, I don't like just holding on to interviews. I mean, a couple days, fine, but this would have been into July, so... That's why I didn't. So, again, this is how we close out Streak Week on episode 163. Thank you for listening, and I hope you continue on. We have a nice interview for you in episode 164. And first, a couple quick words from 12 Ounce Sports. Hey, folks, this is Lee W. Mowen of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and I'm here to talk to you about my bookie. Since 2014, it's the place where you can bet on anything, anywhere, anytime. Get up to $1,000 on your first deposit bonus. Use the promo code 12OZSports. As well as sports betting, you can play some casino games, take in some live odds in Madden 20 and NBA 2K20, and even bet with Bitcoin. Visit mybookie.ag and use that promo code 12OZSports. That's 12OZSports, my bookie, the industry's most rewarding loyalty program. It's episode 163 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, as Matt Sexton is our special guest. Matt is a play-by-play voice for Northern Kentucky University Athletics, as well as the head coach of Blanchester Wildcats Girls Tennis and a freelance writer for the Wilmington News Journal. We're talking Norse, we're talking local sports, we're talking Clinton County sports, broadcasting and journalism, and more on episode 163. Welcome to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. This is a weekly podcast covering all sports in Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio. From Lima to the Ohio River and Northern Kentucky, from Eastern Indiana to Madison County and all points in between, this is your source of local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports. Visit the LeeWMowen.com slash podcast to find your favorite podcasting platform. Music created with the Splash app. Time for another episode with your host, Lee W. Mowen. On the phone this afternoon, we have Matt 
Sexton. Matt, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm glad to get a chance to join you and finally talk to you. I've talked to you on social media, but it's nice to actually uh, get a chance to chat on the phone this time. Absolutely. It's nice. Uh, it's a nice opportunity to have you on my podcast. Uh, Matt, of course, does games for the Northern Kentucky North, so you got to love that rivalry with Wright State, of course. But Absolutely. Also, also girls tennis coach for Blanchester High and a freelance writer for the Wilmington News Journal out of Clinton County. Keeps me busy. I have a lot <laughs> of different stuff going on, so it's, I'm either going from one thing to the next. Hey, I mean, that's that's the best way to do it, right? Absolutely. You know, it's and we'll talk more about it later, but the opportunity to try to be involved in as many things as possible is always, I think, really important. Absolutely. So let's begin the interview. Where are you from? I'm born and raised here in Blanchester. I graduated from Blanchester all the way back in 1997. Um, so I'm getting up there in age, but, uh, I spent a couple of years at Ohio university later on, finished up at Northern Kentucky. So, but I've been local to this area, have been covering high school and, and small college sports for a lot of years until I went to NKU and then kind of worked my way in there at Northern Kentucky. And being the girls' tennis coach at Blanchester, I mean, that's got to be cool. You're leading the girls' tennis program at your alma mater. It's really fun. I've been the girls' coach there. Outside of one year, I took off to go back to school. I've been there since 2005. I coach with my brother. He's my assistant coach, so that's really neat to be able to do that. And I know we'll talk more about that later. But it's the opportunity to give back to the school, especially when I played tennis there, is, is a lot of fun and, and really rewarding for me. So you're from Blanchester. You lived around Blanchester all your life. When did you decide that you wanted to be in the broadcasting field and in the journalism field? Well, both were pretty young. I've always been a huge sports fan. Always liked to grew up with some of the great play-by-play guys back when, you know, obviously I'm really dating myself, but back when cable really was still kind of a new thing. So you heard the big national voices, the Vince Scullys, Bob Costas, guys like that, uh, Joe Buck, or Jack Buck, I should say, uh, guys that you hear them and you want to emulate them. Obviously, Cincinnati has had a lot of uh, iconic voices. Marty Brenneman, of course, just retired. But I always that was always seemed fun to me. Uh, my first broadcasting experience was I was probably 10 or 11 years old. Uh, my brother and my dad played on a slow-pitch softball team, and I sat on the bench with a cassette recorder and did play-by-play of their games, which I'm sure all the adults thought was hilarious. But uh, that was my first break, and it was so much fun. And then when I got into high school, uh, Mark Cuber, who's still the sports editor at the Wilmington News Journal all these years later, asked if I was interested in doing some freelance stuff for them covering Blanchester games because I could ride the bus and basically write. And I've basically kept a relationship with the News Journal ever since. So that's kind of how I got started uh, the broadcast side, and then eventually to the writing side. I was going to say, Mark Huber, he's been at that paper since, what, 1978? It's been a long time. I can't remember what year exactly he started, but Mark is an institution in Clinton County. He's one of those guys, and, and there's so many of them in this area. I think we're sports fans in this area, I think, sometimes forget how lucky they are that we have so many great local sports editors. Guys like Rick Cassano, who, of course, has his own venture now, that – pour their time and effort and love into local sports because it's not that way everywhere. I think people grew up in this area and they just assume that every community cares that much about high school sports. Obviously, Ohio, Texas, California, those states are big, but there are a lot of states where it's not nearly that important. And 
Mark has been a mentor to me forever. Uh, someone I can always go to and to get my start with him and kind of start to learn how to write with him was, was big, especially just being in high school. So now when you write for the Wilmington news journal, what do you get to cover and what schools are involved? Uh, there are four schools in Clinton County, Blanchester. I get to cover most just because when I first started doing it, it was mostly because that's where I was going to school. In later years, it's just because it's close and it's easy for me because I work a full-time job. Uh, but I also cover Clinton Massey, East Clinton, and Wilmington. Uh, obviously, I was lucky enough to be on the coverage teams that covered Clinton Massey's state football tournament runs, the two state championships, the appearance in the state final just a couple of years ago where they lost to Steubenville. So that's really cool to be able to do that kind of stuff. Uh, I cover mostly football, basketball. Occasionally I'll cover uh, some softball because we don't do as much game coverage where we send stringers out in the spring just because there's so many games. But when we get to tournament time, I'll try to help Mark out with that. But it's mostly – Football, basketball, and basketball season, I mean, you know how that goes. It can be four or five nights a week, especially if there are NKU games in there. It can be uh, – there aren't too many open dates. But <laughs> like I said, it, it's a lot of fun, and it's it's great to be able to do that kind of stuff and make sure the kids get a chance to have their experiences chronicled in the local paper. You know, I never realized that Clinton County had only four high school districts, whereas where I'm from, West Alex and Preble County, we have five. I mm-hmm. I never realized that Clinton County only had four, but Clinton Massey, I mean, their football team, the rivalry with Valley View in the playoffs. Sure. Man, man. I mean, have you seen the or heard of the rumors that Clinton Massey and the SWBL might be getting together yeah actually i had somebody come up to me unsolicited uh right at the end of basketball season i think right before everything kind of shut down saying that there was a lot of talk around clinton massey Uh, even wilmington's name had come up now i had heard from another source that wilmington basically flat out denied that they were looking to go anywhere wilmington was really in a bind when the southern buckeye conference brought them in because they really had nowhere to go. They're a huge school that's kind of in the middle of nowhere. They they could have gone up maybe to the G-Walk, but that's a bit league that's even bigger than Wilmington. So uh, the SBC bringing them in, I think they still kind of feel, uh, I don't want to say they owe them something, but I think they feel like they want to stay. Clinton Massey, I know there's some frustration around their football program because the SBC was down a little bit in football this year. And, of course, Clinton Massey got beat in the first round, I think it was. Uh, so there's always that thought of, well, maybe their league schedule isn't preparing them for the playoffs. I mean, the years they won state, their league schedule wasn't stellar either. They were just really, really good. So I, that rumor is always going to be out there. I wonder how much the pandemic and the still uncertainty about when sports is going to start back up has slowed some of that talk down. Uh, I guess we'll find out when school starts back up. But it would not surprise me if Clinton Massey, because of their football program, isn't looking for maybe a step up. And that league would obviously be a, a very formidable league to jump into. Absolutely. And travel is, eh, I mean, the farthest you have to go is Eaton. But if you do West East and the SWBL, and plus with Preble Shawnee and Dixie joining um, sure. the SWBL, I mean, it's just something I see on Yappy. And I, I think, hey, I mean, That'd be a good fit, and for Billbrook mm-hmm. and Waynesville, that's not too far, but you're talking Eaton, then 
Oh boy. Uh, yeah, that's that's a haul. Now, right now, I would say their farthest trip in the in the SBC is to New Richmond, which obviously is a pretty good trip, although it's mostly interstates once you get uh, to Milford. But mm-hmm. I think there was some hard feelings when Clinton Massey and Wilmington, or not Wilmington, Clinton Massey and Waynesville. Uh, broke off their football series. There, there were some years where Clinton Massey really kind of ran it. I don't say ran it up, but they scored a lot of points. And I think there were some some feelings that that weren't great. Now, my understanding is a lot of that's been patched up, at least where it matters. So, I don't think Waynesville would block them from coming in. It'd be great to see that rivalry renewed because there were some absolute battles uh, between those two schools for some years, especially back when they were both in the Kenton Trace Conference uh, before that disbanded. And absolutely, I, I think that'd be a pretty nice addition with all these conference waves that are happening. Mm. It's not only happening in the collegiate level, but here at high schools, I mean, you see uh, some teams jumping ship and other teams uh, joining in other conferences. Um, besides uh, Clinton Massey and Wilmington, like we mentioned, has it really affected anywhere else in the Clinton County or nearby area? You know, it's there are so many rumors about other schools. I think when East Clinton left the SBC years ago to join the SCOL when it started back up, every coach except for one on their staff voted against leaving because East Clinton was a really good fit. So they were very happy, I think, from a competitive standpoint to get back in. So I don't think they're going anywhere. As long as the SBC continues on, I think Blanchester's pretty well locked in. They left once when the, uh, to join the Kenton Trace Conference. That didn't work because – you had Cedarville and Southeastern and uh, Jamestown Greenview that really didn't want Blanchester in just from travel standpoint. So I, I've heard rumors, and I know this is a little bit maybe out of your coverage area, but I've heard rumors about Greenfield, McLean, and Hillsboro and Highland County. Those are schools that both at one time were members of the Southern Buckeye Conference. Mm-hmm. There's, of course, in that league now, that Frontier Athletic Conference, it goes all the way out to Jackson and uh, I think there's a lot of talk about maybe them wanting to get back in the SBC, but uh, I think everybody just, uh, not everybody, but a lot of schools kind of pump the brakes on that with everything, because at this point, uh, I know schools are still even trying to figure out how are they even going to get back in the classroom in the fall. So I think a lot of that talk got pushed to the back burner, but if everything gets somewhat back to normal, I think you're going to start hearing all that talk come get fired up again. And we covered a lot of high school sports right off the bat in the first 10 minutes. Let's swing over to the <laughs> collegiate side of things. How did you wind up broadcasting with the Northern Kentucky Norse? Well, you know, sometimes sometimes it's about being in the right place at the right time or just bothering the right people. Uh, I went back and finished my degree just a few years ago. I was one of those things I'd always wanted to do. And uh, I had a lot of experience, but I didn't have that piece of paper. So uh, I went back to Northern Kentucky and, Really made a lot of really good connections. I joined the student newspaper there, the Northerner, which as I'm sure I'll talk about later, I highly recommend getting involved in in a local student newspaper if you get on a college campus. It's a good way to make a lot of contacts. And I was covering sports for them. So I really became good friends with a lot of the people in sports information in Northern Kentucky, uh, including a guy who's not there anymore who went back to Memphis, Brad Pope. And I owe a lot of my broadcasting there to him because – Uh, Between him and Wes Akers, who has produced and done a lot of things on like Fox Sports Ohio, and and he teaches at Northern Kentucky, he produces all their broadcasts. And I came to him right before I was about to graduate with some of my demo stuff that I had done when I was doing some high school games for a radio station in Wilmington that unfortunately is no longer there. But 
I just said, look, if there's ever an opportunity, if they ever need somebody, here's my demo. You can listen to it. If you think I'm terrible, then don't worry about it. If you think I'm at least okay, let them know I'd be interested. So a few weeks later, Brad called me and said, hey, we've got a few volleyball games. We've got some soccer games. you want to do them? Absolutely. So year one was just some fill-in stuff. Uh, the second year, they brought me back and basically gave me all the men's and women's soccer as long as my schedule allowed it. And then right near the end of the soccer season, uh, the gentleman who was doing the women's basketball games got a promotion. Uh, and so he wasn't going to be able to do the games anymore. So they offered me women's basketball. And of course I jumped all over that. And this was just my second season doing uh, women's basketball and the upcoming fall. Hopefully if we have a season, it'll be my fourth year doing soccer there. So, uh, you know, sometimes it really is just about talking to the right person at the right time and they needed somebody and you get in the door and then you just hope that, your body of work once you get in there is good enough that they want to keep you around. So I feel very fortunate and blessed to have the opportunity and uh, the people there are wonderful. Uh, even school, you know, getting to meet and talk to people from other schools, uh, all really great people. The Horizon League is a great league and it's just been a lot of fun. But I mean, some of it is just dumb luck, I guess. I hate to say that because it sounds like, oh, you just have to be lucky. But uh, some of it is just being in the right place at the right time. Absolutely. I understand that. Um, uh, let me tell you, NKU's uh, soccer pitch, what a fantastic facility <laughs> that is. They, it is a really, I mean, they really did a nice job when they built that. And this, just this past, uh, or last summer, I guess, they replaced the turf with brand new turf because they were, it was really getting to the point where anytime there was a heavy rain, there was a real problem with it. So the, the, the turf surface is uh, top notch. And obviously the bleachers and the press box area is really, really nice. And, uh, and you know, they've, they've had some really good teams. And, and their, their men's team has the potential to be very, very good this fall, assuming they have a season. Stu Riddle, of course, came over from uh, Buffalo when they got rid of their program. He brought a lot of uh, foreign talent over uh, the last couple of years. And then they added about three or four guys from the UC soccer team. And unfortunately, they were uh, – canceled their program was uh, dissolved because of COVID cutbacks. Um, so they really should be very, very good. The horizon league men's soccer is really loaded. I mean, there are yeah. really aren't too many weak teams. Everybody in there is at least pretty darn good. So it'll be a fun season. I hope we get to have a season uh, because it's going to be a lot of fun. And, and, you know, the facilities in Northern Kentucky, they really did a great job. Uh, even like Regents Hall, which obviously is the old basketball arena, they still play volleyball there. You know, they've they've done as much as they can do to make that a nice facility for for them as well. So you know, give them a lot of credit for the investment they've put into the, all the facilities there. Absolutely, and you mentioned Horizon League soccer is top notch. I mean, you got Wright State, of course, Northern Kentucky. I think Stu Riddle is getting the program strong uh uic of course milwaukee's yes. up there oakland um and green bay green bay's mm -hmm. always been a thorn of right state side in the regular season it's uh and then we beat them in the semifinals, so that was kind of cool but yeah i mean horizon league men's soccer is great women's soccer is even better too i mean mm -hmm. uic started their program a couple years back and they're looking like the men counterparts really strong uh, Wright State's up there. Uh, I think Cleveland State's up there. Detroit Mercy was up there, I believe. Norfolk, Kentucky's got a good program. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's Horizon League's going to add 
And that leads me to the next question. Horizon League is going to add Purdue, Fort Wayne, and now Robert Morris in. What's your take on teams 11 and 12 into the HL? Well, we obviously knew about Purdue, Fort Wayne. That's been, I mean, it's been rumored for a while, especially when they added IUPUI that I think there was a lot of talk of trying to find that logical partner there with Fort Wayne. Robert Morris, like you mentioned off the air, is that rumor has been going on forever and ever about Robert Morris coming into the Horizon League. Uh, looks like it's finally going to happen. Uh, credit to Pittsburgh Sports Now. At least that's where I saw the story that uh, the Horizon League is supposed to announce that or, you know, it's going to be announcing that depending on, you know, when this airs, it may have already <laughs> happened. But, uh, you know, that I think is a very good fit. The fact they were able to, it looks like, move their football to the Big South, so they're they're not worried so much about uh, football falling off. They're they're going to have a nice conference affiliation there, and then I think they fit in a lot of sports. I just had a chance to look at her hoop stats, which obviously that's uh, it's always kind of look at women's basketball first because that's the, the sport, one of the sports that I call. But uh, they're they were ranked 39th nationally in their rankings last year. Uh, Strength of schedule wasn't quite great, which it's going to be a big step up. I think for them, strength of schedule wise in the Horizon League, uh, and the men's basketball is going to be a, it's going to be a step up for Robert Morris to move in the Horizon League. Horizon League was uh, higher ranked uh, than their previous conference, so I, I think he'll fit. I think it's a good fit. I think it's interesting kind of how it all happened so quickly because all we talked about this winter was well, what's the Horizon League going to do about an 11 school rotation because as you know uh, they have these travel partners and it works very well northern kentucky and wright state work together so mm -hmm. it, the scheduling is relatively easy well now you've added a 12 so i mean do you see robert morris and youngstown state now become travel partners as cleveland state pair up with fort wayne uh, it'll be interesting to see how they work that but at least with the 12 team league uh, that's going to be a lot easier to deal with than 11 but i, I think it's a good fit i think uh, Fort Wayne uh, is going to be a good fit. I think there are some sports where they need to catch up a little bit, but I'm sure they will. They're going to invest the time and the money if they're going to move into the Horizon League, and uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to, to have both those schools in the league. I mean, for Wright State, Northern Kentucky, I mean, Fort Wayne's not too far away. I think it's mm -hmm. about two hours away from Dayton, something like that. Yeah. And what I was talking about on my podcast on episode 155, I, I didn't even realize, oh, yeah, Cleveland State and Fort Wayne – I mean, that's that's a little bit of a hike, but it's not bad. I mean, yeah. Right. And plus, something that I always smile about because Horizon League, they're in the big cities. They're in Chicago, Milwaukee, Green Bay, uh, Cleveland, Youngstown. I think Youngstown's probably the smallest media market. Maybe Fort Wayne is. Uh, Detroit, mm -hmm. uh, Cincinnati, Dayton. And now you got Pittsburgh in the mix. So that's that's a nice mix of major cities in the Midwest. Yeah, I think that's really smart. I think it's a good way to get your name out there and, and kind of establish them as, as a strong mid-major conference. I mean, obviously, the Mid-American Conference in this area is still going to be a notch above just with football and everything else. But, mm -hmm. you know, Horizon League wants to position themselves, if not even with them, at least right in that same neighborhood so because they're still competing for those same kids. And in some sports, they get those kids over the OUs and the Miamis and, and all the other – Max schools, but uh, you want to be in that conversation with those type of kids if you want to be able to compete, especially in basketball where you're, uh, we'd love to get that automatic bid, uh, have a chance to maybe upset a big school. You know, you got to have that kind of level of talent, but to be 
even if you're the third or the fourth or the fifth school in one of those cities, you're still getting your highlights on the news. You're getting talked about. That's awesome for recruiting and, and visibility of the conference. You mentioned recently you took over broadcasting NKU women's hoops. Uh, what's been some of your favorite moments while broadcasting uh, the Norse? I think this year we, because of the change in the format of the tournament, uh, Northern Kentucky got to host the quarterfinal, first round and quarterfinal games in the Horizon League tournament. We got to do both of those games, uh, myself along with my partner, Rich Hoyt. Uh, that was a lot of fun because, you know, I don't know what the viewership is like for those ESPN Plus games. I'm sure it's, you know, there's not a billion people watching, but it's kind of neat because you know there's going to be more attention on those games and, and to get a chance to prepare and, and try to call them as much down the middle as possible. Uh, and so that if people are watching from out of town, they, they get the chance to uh, not feel like you're a big homer <laughs> for your school. So uh, th- those games were a lot of fun. Uh, the, I think the one moment that I probably had burned in my head at this point was from last season, uh, Northern Kentucky uh, won a game at the buzzer on the three pointer by Molly Glick, uh, I believe it was against Youngstown state. Uh, that ended up in my call of that and, and as obnoxious as it was ended up in all of the hype videos. And every time there was some sort of advertisement for NKU athletics, it was in there. So uh, that's probably a moment that I'm going to remember for a long time, just because uh, they burned it and played it over and over and over again. But uh, you know, it's the women's program there went through a lot of turmoil last off season, the previous off season, uh, a lot of things going on outside of the program. Um, I think we all kind of wondered how, what, what the fallout was going to be. Um, it seems like they've come out a stronger program. Whatever happened uh, seems to have galvanized the people that are there. Uh, they've got a great transfer coming in from Louisville uh, that'll be eligible this year. They've got some really nice freshmen coming in and they've got uh, the core of their team back from a team that, uh, was moments away from playing for a Horizon League championship. They lose basically at the buzzer uh, to Green Bay and in Indianapolis. You know, they've got a chance to to be a team that, that can contend for a Horizon League title in the next couple of years. And, and to be a, have a chance to call those games and be a part of that is certainly a lot of fun. And you also mentioned when some of your highlights are used for the hype videos, That's you got to feel like you're on top of the world with that. <laughs> it, it's It's really cool it's still kind of weird because you just you don't really think about that when you call it you just when i when there's a moment like that i just think don't screw up a person's name don't say anything stupid don't sound i mean just you just think about not messing up more than you think about creating some sort of iconic call for at least in my case but uh it is really cool you know you'll be sitting there and you're working on the open or whatever for the game and you hear it up on the the big screen and uh it's it's a pretty neat feeling i'm not gonna lie but it's still weird too because it's like that just there's got to be something else you can use but you know i guess it's something you get used to when you end up being the voice of a team that your calls are gonna end up being out there i guess and we also talked about venues especially for nku soccer but how beautiful is bbnt it's gorgeous i mean for those who don't know uh BB&T is kind of a just slightly smaller version of the Centos Center at Xavier. I, I didn't realize that until I went to cover a Xavier game, and uh, a lot of the uh, design was taken from Centos and brought to BB&T. I mean, it's a top-notch arena. I mean, outside of the big Division One schools, 
there can't be too many schools in that next tier down that have a nicer facility. Uh, it's you could certainly see. I mean, not probably not the NCAA Division One tournament, just because those they've gone to such big arenas for those venues. But um, even the women's tournament, I mean, there would be an opportunity to host things there. Obviously, UC played a season there while they were renovating the third arena. Uh, that tells you really all you need to know about the downtown arena in Cincinnati. That they would rather go into Kentucky yeah. and play home games in Northern Kentucky than to play at US Bank Arena, but or whatever it's called this week. I think they changed the name since then, but. Uh, <laughs> But it's just, it's a beautiful facility. It should make it very easy to recruit. I think the one challenge still, and I don't, you know, I've only been recently to a women's game at Wright State, so I can't really speak to whether they deal with the same challenges or not. But Northern Kentucky is less of a commuter school today than it used to be, but it is still at its heart a lot of commuter students. So student attendance is better it gets better each year but it's still not what like cincinnati or xavier or dayton you know if you could pack these arenas if you could pack the nutter center if you could pack uh northern kentucky it would give these teams such a, a drastic home court advantage and make again part of the recruiting process having that environment um, I don't think either school is where they would like to be there, but it would be nice to be able to draw more of those local people and students onto into these arenas and uh, support the schools. You're right. I mean, at Wright State, it's a commuter school. I think uh, about 30% of the student body lives on campus, although a lot of commuters do live around the area off campus because there's like there's like 10 apartment complexes within like a five-mile drive of Wright State. But, yeah, that was the big thing. How do you get commuters to stick around and catch Wright State sports? I mean, if you're a student, everything's free. You just show up. Here's my Wright One card. Bam. And mm -hmm. and for men's basketball, you get two free tickets to each game if you just, you know, go get your tickets. I think it used to be in the student union, but I think they moved it. But uh, that's showing you how old I am. <laughs> Well, and, and NKU has even done promotions. I think they did some sort of money giveaway promotion this year. If they got like a thousand students, I think we're going to give away a thousand dollars or something like that. I mean, they have tried uh, like drink discounts and everything else that they can try. And like I said, both these programs have won, especially men's basketball. They've had a lot of success. And when you get those big games, I mean, I know the NKU Wright State game had a good crowd at both venues, but you would like to see it year round it may would make those programs so much better if they can show off the fact they're drawing even seven or eight thousand as opposed to two or three thousand for your home games at least the ones that aren't the big big home games absolutely that's that's agreed upon definitely now we mentioned soccer for nku and women's basketball uh what else do you get to cover i think you do uh softball for nku I've done a little bit of softball, a little bit of baseball. I've done some volleyball. Um, I kind of fill in on those sports. They have uh, some other broadcasters that, that do those a little more regularly. Uh, and just with my schedule, because my full-time job, I work at the First National Bank of Blanchester, and hmm. my hours make it so that, like, it makes it tough to get to a volleyball match that starts at 6 or at 5, especially being an hour away or 45 minutes away from where I live. Uh, so it's a little more convenient for some of these other broadcasters to go do a volleyball game on a Friday or a Saturday. Mm -hmm. But I do fill in if something comes open. I try to keep my schedule available. Uh, I was really disappointed we didn't get to have any baseball or softball this spring. Uh, 
Uh, by the time they got to the point where they would have home games, <laughs> the, the season was canceled. So uh, I think we're all optimistic and hopeful that when, when soccer rolls back around and volleyball, we'll be able to do that in the fall. But your guess is as good as mine is whether that's actually going to happen. Uh, I think we're going to know soon. I think when this news comes out and they, the Robert Morris edition – at that point, these schools can probably start releasing schedules, and, and we're going to start getting an idea of what that's going to look like. Yeah, I agree on that. Uh, I was lucky enough to catch four college baseball games as a PA announcer before things shut down. And nice. Northern Kentucky was at UD, so I got to see the Norse for uh, three games. Oh. Um, the uh, Friday game, uh, they called it early because they couldn't, the umps couldn't see the ball. I think that's the. Oh. I think that's why they called it, but. I think the umps also said the players can see the ball. So it's like, you know, whole big match like that. And so we uh, have to do like a game and a half Saturday and then Sunday. And then Tuesday is my first right state game against Miami. And then bam, that was it. <laughs> it was it's right, crazy. Yeah. It was right before the first horizon league series at Nishwood stadium too. And, um, uh, it was heartbreaking, especially since Ohio state and Indiana state were, Supposed to come into Nishwitz after the Milwaukee series at home. Oh was, wow! Yeah, it was, it came at the worst time. It's like you couldn't do it after the Indiana State game, so I have a little bit more baseball. <laughs> but so we mentioned Northern Kentucky. Now mm-hmm. let's mention Blanchester High again. You're yeah. the head coach of girls tennis there. What are your duties and what's it like to be head coach for girls tennis? Uh, well, you know, tennis is one of those sports, especially at a school like Blanchester, where, you know, we're far enough away from the city where we don't typically get a lot of kids that have played tennis before. Uh, we don't get a lot of kids that go take lessons or anything like that. We're a small school, public school. So my duties are probably a lot different than other coaches. I basically have to teach them everything they need to know about tennis from the very, very beginning to whenever they graduate. Uh, so we spend a lot of time during the summer having open courts. Uh, we've had about three, uh, we've had three of them so far. I go up there because I live here in town. I don't really do anything in the evenings. I go up every night. I tell my players, like, I know you're not going to come every night, but I'll be there. If you want to come out and hit, we can work on some things. Uh, and I've got kids to their credit that come out a lot during the summer and basically learn how to play. Uh, and we've had a lot of success. Uh, I took over the program in 2005. Uh, the program started in 1997, so we're still pretty – I mean, I guess we're not a young program anymore, but uh, a lot of schools had girls tennis long before we did. Hmm. Um, so I started in 2005, really didn't have the players we needed at that point. I had a lot of great kids, but we didn't really have the athletes we needed at that point to be competitive. And then uh, from 2008 until now, uh, we've won – trying to think i believe 10 league titles in the southern buckeye national division which is the smaller school division Mm -hmm. Uh, we had a run of seven in a row or something like that and and basically uh, i always tell the girls our number one priority is to have fun and and enjoy playing tennis because the more you have fun the more you're going to want to play and the better you get you know we're not going to be a program that like the indian hills or chcas or schools like that that you know can just work their kids to death because they'll just go they'll go find something else to do that tennis is never going to be their uh life or death thing but i want them to have fun i want them it's great to see kids years later come out and they're still playing they play with their kids starting to get to that age where you start seeing that it really makes you feel old but <laughs> um you know it's it's a lifelong sport you can play 
basically as long as you can be up and around and active. I've seen some really good players in their 70s out there playing on tennis courts. So um, it's just a matter of them having fun, and I've been very fortunate to be able to continue to do it. Uh, the older you get, the more you, especially the busier I get. Now that I'm doing a lot of the NKU broadcasts every year, I kind of reevaluate, like, do I want to put in for this again? Do I want to do this again? Uh, and I keep hanging around and, you know, we've got a team in the next couple of years. It should be pretty good. Again, we won the league again last year after a one year hiatus and I've uh, got a very good singles lineup coming back. So uh, it's fun. It's a blast. I get to do it with my brother, uh, which is special for me because we played together in high school at Blanchester. So to be able to coach together now is uh, a lot of fun, but uh, it's, it, it, I, I love it. I love playing tennis. I love coaching tennis and, as long as time allows, as long as I don't end up moving off somewhere else, I'll probably continue to do it at least for a little while longer. What made you fall in love with the sport of tennis? I, you know, that's a good question. I, I was always a fan. I always watched it on TV. I don't know if it was the individual nature of it. I think one of the things I like about tennis is something I hear a lot from wrestling coaches when I interview them or uh, even golf coaches. The, the individual nature in such that it's not about all oh, coach doesn't like me, so I don't play or coach, you know, coach is putting this person in my position. You hear that in baseball and softball. I mean, I've helped been an assistant for girls softball bland for a long time. And you'll hear that from time to time because their dad was their coach and they let them play shortstop and they think they, they owed that position. You know, tennis is in wrestling and golf and track and field. Uh, there are meritocracy. You know, if you think you're better than this other kid, you just go out and beat them and take their spot. So uh, I always tell the girls that they make the lineup. I don't make the lineup. They go out there. We play challenges. Uh, I think that's the part I always enjoyed is that uh, being on the tennis team, it was never about my last name. It was never about um, who my parents knew or who I was friends with. It's like, am I good enough or am I not good enough? Uh, and I, I think I always appreciated just, having some control over whether I made the team or not. And, and some of my best friends ever I met playing tennis and had even since coaching tennis. And I, I think that's why tennis always, always going to be my favorite sport, at least to play. Who are some of your big rivals when, uh, during a normal girls tennis season that you always look forward to competing against? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. <laughs> We've got, you know, in our division, we've got some teams that are kind of up and down. Claremont Northeastern, which is just south of us, has has built a nice program. Uh, I think they would like to see us in a different division or league because we seem to always be just, just a step ahead of them. Um, they did knock us off a couple of years ago to win the league, uh, but we, we tend to try to stay a little bit ahead of them. Uh, I do try to schedule. I don't schedule like super ridiculously tough, but – we do play Division One schools. Last three or four years, we've opened the season with Cold Rain, which uh, in any given year, they can be pretty solid because they're just such a big school. Uh, we play Madeira every year. They usually handle us because they're usually pretty good. Um, we, you know, A lot of the crossover games in the other division, New Richmond, Western Brown, those are all D1 programs that uh, are D2, uh, top of D2 size-wise that, that – are always solid. So, you know, we have a good kind of working relationship with them where the matches are always are pretty competitive. So uh, 
you know, I don't know that there's one team that is our rival. I don't know if that comes from us <laughs> winning a lot that, in our <laughs> league. So, you know, it's not like we have a back and forth. Years ago, it used to be Batavia. Mm. Batavia at the time was in a small division before we added Wilmington and Massey and, and kind of uh, and some of the smaller schools like East Clinton, which ended up forcing Batavia up. Uh, they, it was year in and year out. And it was kind of funny because uh, – they had a hard time at the end beating us because we were putting these good teams together. And then uh, the one year they moved back down in the small division was the year I took off to, to go back to school. And their coaches just sent me this nasty message. I mean, and just like, what are you doing? Like, I had a chance to beat you this year and you, you go back to school. Like, sorry, sorry. That's just the way it works. So uh, there, you know, the one thing I like about tennis too, is a lot of the coaches are really good people. They're down to earth. Uh, they really make coaching a lot of fun. Uh, when I used to coach softball, I could probably count a lot of coaches that I didn't necessarily care for a whole lot. Uh, maybe just the way they treated their players or whatever I didn't really agree with. But don't get a lot of that in tennis. I'm, most of the tennis coaches, I'd say 95% or better, are, I really enjoy working with, both at Blanchester and uh, I'm, I also assist running the, the Southwest sectional that uh, we run at the tennis center in Mason. I also help run the district and I've done some officiating at state as well. So I've gotten to know a lot of the coaches and a lot of really good people there. Isn't that a fantastic facility in Mason? Oh, it's wonderful. It's, it is honestly a little tough for like a sectional tennis tournament because it's so spread out. Like it's a wonderful facility, but you know, when you're a coach, especially some of these schools that only have one coach, it's like, okay, you have a kid that's over on court three, and now you have a kid that's like half a mile away playing on court 17, and you got to be able to get back and forth between the two of them. You definitely get your steps in uh, when you're playing at the tennis center. But it's, I tell the girls, I said, you know, you're playing on court that Serena Williams played on, that Roger Federer played on. Not everybody gets to do this. Like, you know, our baseball team doesn't go get, you know, they might get to play maybe at great American ballpark, but in most cases they don't, they don't go get to play, you know, where the, the Dayton dragons play. You don't get to play in those big facilities very often at the high school level. So for, for a tennis player to be able to play there, you know, I always tell them we always get there first before anybody else gets there. Cause I always have the code to get in. And I it's like, you go straight to center court and go hit everybody hit, take your pictures. Cause you're going to want to remember this. Cause it's the one thing you'll remember about tennis more so than anything else that from your tennis career is getting to play there. You know, in one of my previous interviews, uh, the one I did with Jeremy Lance, we were talking about how mm. amazing it is to have the Western and Southern Open at Mason and how, you know, that's one of the oldest tennis circuits in the world. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy to think it's in Cincinnati. And, and then Jeremy told me the story about how most of the players are just seen at Applebee's. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know <laughs> apple peaks yeah it's because there are that is easier for them and, and in a lot of cases some of these players you know when they go to the big tournaments they don't have the freedom i mean they can't go to the u.s open and just go walk out to some restaurant in new york they would be mobbed but tennis players even as you know i may know these guys they're really famous and these ladies uh the average person might not know Rafael Nadal, if he walked into an Applebee's, you know, so this is a chance for them to almost have like a normal existence, like everybody else, uh, just to walk into a grocery store or walk into uh, Starbucks and 
uh, be unrecognized, which is, it's gotta be a weird feeling when you're basically one of the most famous athletes in the world and, and you can walk around and, and that's the thing. The other thing about the, the, the Western and Southern open is you'll walk into players just walking from court to court. I mean, I don't know how many times you just be going from one court to the other and, you know, there's John Isner just walking by, can't miss him. He's, you know, six foot 10 or whatever he is, but uh, you know, that stuff doesn't happen in other tournaments either. So for the, for the girls, we, cause we used to go as a team and then they moved the high school day to Sunday and it didn't quite work as well for us, but uh, you know, you get to meet all these players and it, that's again, it's not something you can you might be able to get a few autographs at a Reds game or and you're certainly not going to do that at a Bengals game uh, but to walk right by these guys and and ladies is is a really cool experience absolutely I mean it just it, like I mentioned it's so neat to see that you know that we can have that in Cincinnati mm-hmm. absolutely and, and I there's obviously a lot of rumors about that and what they're going to do. I know there were some rumors that they were going to move that tournament to New York uh, this year, just so that they can basically keep all the players together for a three or four week period to try to, to hold the U S open. I would say if I was betting, I, I'm really skeptical as whether the U S open is going to happen, at least in New York. Uh, obviously I, I honestly thought maybe you should try to move the U S open to Mason because I think as far as risk and being able to isolate players, we can do it a lot better in Ohio with so, so much, you know, so much more space and fewer people. Uh, but you know, the U S open, they want to make money too. So I, it's, it's touch and go to see what's going to happen. And, and those type of events, it's, it's hard to say when those are going to come back. I mean, Cincinnati is no small village, but New York's one of the biggest cities in the <laughs> world. So, yeah, you know, Right. I I don't know. I don't. I just run this podcast. Sure. So. Absolutely. No, they're not going to be calling me and asking my opinion on that. So <laughs> so that, that'll be good. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, as the head coach of girls tennis, do you like the current format for high school tennis where girls play? That's in the fall, right? Where mm-hmm. And Correct. boys tennis is in the spring. Do you want to see it where tennis is played kind of like fall and spring? Do you want to see just one season picked or do you like the split? Uh, that's, you know, it's, it's tough because obviously we've, I've never experienced it any other way. I, I know there are some pros and cons to each. Obviously there are a lot of schools where the same coach coaches both. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that would be easier to be able to hold joint practices in one season. Uh, and then I guess you have to consider, well, what other sports are you going to be competing? Like if you move girls tennis to the spring, now you're competing at softball, you're competing as track and field. Did you lose some of your tennis kids in that case? If you moved boys tennis in the fall, are you going to lose them to football? Are you going to lose them to cross country? I mean, I, I honestly, if, if I had to move one, I would love to see boys tennis move to fall just because one, the weather is better. It's hot in the beginning of the season, but it's usually drier in the fall. And when you get to the tournaments at the end of the season, the weather has cooled off. Uh, we've seen some really extreme weather at the state tournaments and boys. Uh, and a couple years ago, there was a state semifinal match that was played on court nine or now court 10. It's the bowl court at the Western side or Mason. Uh, and it went four hours in 90 degree heat um, to the point where the loser of the match had to default the consolation because he basically in the rest time, he cramped up so bad he couldn't even lift his arm to serve. So, oh. 
that would kind of take that out of the equation if the boys are playing a state tournament in October as opposed to playing in, in, in as you approach June. But uh, the other thing, too, is I know some baseball players who would probably have played boys tennis, but they've played baseball since they were five mm. and they don't want to give it up. Um, I think you might be able to get some of those kids play tennis if you had it in the fall. But um, I, I don't think it's going to change. Uh, at least not anytime soon, but it would be interesting if you had both the boys and girls in the fall, be able to coach both together, work on them together. Plus then you have that summertime to lead up to your boys season that you don't have during the spring, because I mean, you know what the weather's like in Ohio in March, like you, you'll get one seventy degree day and it's snowing the next day. So uh, there's a challenge getting ready for the boys season that you don't have with the girls. And it'd be interesting to have that lead up to the boys season where you can practice all summer instead of, um, okay, it's it's 40 degrees, it's warm enough to go practice, and you go out there and bundle up, and you don't really get much done. You know, when I was working on the yearbook when I was in high school, I always wondered why, why was that? Like, why do girls tennis play in the fall and boys tennis wait still spring to do that? But then I never thought about, you know, if you like losing other athletes to other sports. That's always... Mm. I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to say it's an afterthought, but it's just you know, I always wondered why that was. Yeah, and I think obviously it depends on how big of a school you go to, too. I mean, if you're talking about Mason, they're not worried about that because not only are they huge, mm. but the kids that play tennis probably only play tennis or they primarily play tennis. But when you're a school like Blanchester, if you're a school like uh, Claremont Northeastern or East Clinton, like schools in our division that are small that – we basically need our athletes to play three sports to be able to have a chance to be competitive. And, you know, obviously, and we could that'd be a whole other podcast, get into sports specialization in high school and how it's bad. And you really should try to play as much as you can. But uh, when you're, when you're our size and you've got, well, I don't know, 300 girls, maybe in, well, not even that many, probably in our high school, maybe 250, um, you you're really picking from a small group. So uh, you have to be worried about that. And I have a lot of girls because I've assisted with softball that have played tennis in the spring, in the fall, because they don't play anything in the fall. In fact, a lot of them don't play anything but softball. Um, I would lose those kids if we went to the springtime. So uh, it's for small schools, it's a must to, you know, to be considerate of what, you know, other sports are out there, but for bigger schools, uh, they probably don't have to worry about that to, to the same extent. So I think that would change your perspective on that. Let's go over to the Wilmington News Journal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned how uh, you became a part of that paper. But what have been some of your favorite stories to create and what all do you get to cover? I, you know, I'm very lucky as far as the news journal goes because, like I said, like I mentioned earlier, I had a chance to cover the state title games for Clinton Massey, the championships, and the one most recently uh, covered a lot of basketball. But uh, state wrestling is the other thing. Mark and I are really the two writers there that are that cover wrestling, so we've had a lot of really good teams. Blanchester's had several appearances in the uh, state duels. Uh, have had some kids get very far clinton massey's wrestling program very good as is wilmington and east clinton for a small school and their program's pretty young uh has also had some kids that go on to have success at state so um, i've had a chance to cover uh, both the, the team and the individual wrestling uh, but the one thing and and mark has always been really good about this is uh, 
he's always said, if there's any kind of state tournament you want to cover, because the OHSAA, when it gives out credentials, basically gives priority to uh, daily newspapers first, and the news journal's still a daily, although I think it only runs uh, Tuesday through Saturday now, as opposed to back when it used to be, a, I think, a six-day-a-week paper. But um, they always give credentials to these daily papers. So uh, a few years ago, I'm like, I'd love to cover the state hockey final for It's a nationwide arena. Hockey is my favorite sport outside of tennis. I would love to go do that. So I had the chance for a few years until my last couple of years, my schedule hasn't really allowed it, but I had a chance to go cover the state final four uh, and state championship game at nationwide. And it's a shame to me that more people don't know about that because it is so much fun. Mm -hmm. uh, the athletes and coaches are so accessible um, coaches that are big time coaches. I mean, guys, you know, that are, you know, could be a college coach very easily that are coaching high levels like you know st ed's and st ignatius and uh university school uh schools like that but they they come up and they thank you for being there because their sport doesn't get the kind of coverage uh, that other high school sports get and um, i was up there the first i think it was the first year i covered uh i was up there for the seven overtime game that ended in a tie Mm -hmm. uh, that was crazy because, you know, it's the first year I go and I'm up there with a lot of sports writers, which, I mean, there were only maybe five or six people covering the tournament, uh, but I'm up there with these guys and, and, you know, they're all like, I've never seen, you know, can't imagine this continuing on. And, you know, you get to watch history with guys that have covered hockey for 20, 30 years. Uh, so that was really cool. Uh, but I, I wish more people got into state hockey. I wish more schools had it. I just saw a report, and I'm sure you saw it too, because I know uh, you're into hockey as well, mm -hmm. uh, that the OHSA is considering a second division for ice hockey uh, coming up, maybe even this season, if not, maybe next year. And I know uh, they're at, they would like to have a three division set up. I don't think that's going to be in the near term, but uh, I, that if you're talking about the covering stuff for the news journal, and obviously we don't have any, clinton county teams that have hockey um which is a shame honestly but uh, to be able to cover those games is so much fun absolutely getting to be the voice of centerville and springboro hockey it's it's a blast and it, it's a shame that it's not covered as much in yeah. southwest ohio because i tell you there's some great teams i mean mm -hmm. Well, let me turn it around on you because obviously you cover those teams here. What is it going to take for some of these schools in Southwest Ohio? Obviously the Columbus area is starting to break through. They're starting to find some competitive footing with the teams in Northern Ohio. But what is it going to take for these schools to actually be able to compete at the state level with the St. Ignatius, the university schools, Northview, schools like that to finally break through? I think it's been, what, 1979, I think, since – a team south of Columbus won a state championship. Was that, was that Centerville, I think, maybe that won that? That, I'm... that was Centerville, and that's the only team outside Cleveland or Toledo that's won the state title. Which is So what is it going to take? What's going to have to change for that to, to finally, one of these schools to finally break through and, and win at that level? Wait a minute. Someone's asking me a question on my podcast. <laughs> We're turning not, it around on you. No, that's not the script. Um, <laughs> okay, so in southwest Ohio, the big thing with hockey is there's not a lot of ice. Dayton yeah. is a little bit better than Cincinnati just because there's there's Hobart, there's Kettering, there's South Metro, and there's Springfield, <laughs> although Springfield really doesn't see that much high school hockey. 
I mean, there'll be a couple times where a Columbus team and a Sinday team will meet up there just because that's kind of the halfway point. I, I sure. saw I saw Gahanna Lincoln battle Sycamore and the uh, Aviators win it in uh, overtime. And that was, was that the game that Sycamore had six players on the bench? Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I've seen that a lot. It's just, uh, that, that'll be later on the question. But the big thing is we need more ice. And mm-hmm. I mentioned it on a couple of interviews I've done with uh, hockey people. I, I really wish the Cincinnati Cyclones would build some rinks. I mean, look yes. at Indianapolis or Columbus. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have the Chillers in Columbus, which are named after the ECHL team in the 90s, and yep. the Blue Jackets have definitely helped that out. I mean, I think it'll still take a little bit more push from uh, CBJ to get Columbus to, you know, regularly punch, you know, or I shouldn't say punch, but battle with the Cleveland yeah. Toledo heavyweights. Sure. I think if Cincinnati did that, I think it'd be a better shot, although it, it, there's no guarantee on that. I mean, right. in Cincinnati, you got two sheets at Sports Plus, a former Hills Department store, and mm-hmm. then you have Northland. You have uh, Heritage Bank Center, which is the old U.S. Bank, and <laughs> I think in one of the interviews I did, I call I almost called it Hickory Bank, and I'm like, where did that come from? <laughs> it starts with an H. Leave well, me you alone. remember the name of it. I didn't even do that earlier, so you're ahead of me on that one. Well, to be fair, I, I got to broadcast two hockey games there, so, you know, I hope I got that right when I was there. <laughs> uh, I, I definitely say the first key is more ice. The second uh, thing I would say is – in a way, hockey is unique where you don't have to be part of a high school team to play. There's right. uh, youth hockey organizations that offer said uh, said level, like the Dayton Stealth. They have a great varsity team, the Cincinnati Soars, the Miami <laughs> Junior Red Hawks, uh, uh, Indian Hill. Yeah. Not Indian Hill High School, the Braves. It's Indian Hills Winter Club, which that's a fantastic rink, but it's private. You have to be sure. in the area and you have to pay fees. I tell you, Indian Hills and Northland are the coldest places on earth, but that's, <laughs> that's another podcast episode for another time. Sure. Well, and you mentioned that, and to kind of tie back, back into what we were talking about earlier, that same thing is happening in tennis to some degree, too, where you have a lot of these – kids that are playing junior USTA or they're playing uh, for club teams as opposed to playing for high school. And uh, it's become such an issue that the OHSA last year went as far as to offer waivers to kids to say, because before it was like every other sport, there's a drop dead date. You play outside your sport after this date, you're not eligible for the state tournament. Mm -hmm. Now I think twice a season you can get a waiver it allows you to play in one of these tournaments outside of the interscholastic uh, season. So they understand that it's a problem. Now, in individual sports, it's less of a problem than team sports, and I can see where that is definitely taking away from the talent pool of some of these local high schools that, that might be able to compete if they had the kind of talent that was playing uh, club sports instead of playing for their high school team. Absolutely. I mean, I don't want to see those club teams, you know, die off. I mean, right. they deserve a great team too, but I don't know what the practical answer is to keep the kids, you know, maybe more high school teams. If you build more rinks in areas sure. that you think would be great hockey hotbeds, I mean, maybe start up there. I mean, Cincinnati's got, doesn't they have more teams than Dayton area or am I just dreaming that? I think you're right because it seems like when the brackets come out, there are schools that I'm surprised have a hockey team. It was like 
you know, you're not anywhere near a rank. Like, I'm surprised that you have a team. Like, I was surprised that Springboro had a team, and that obviously they've had some success over there. Um, back when I was years ago, but even before I was in high school, Springboro used to be in the same league as Blanchester in the old Fort Ancient Valley Conference before Blanchester left. So it's funny to see how that area has obviously exploded, and you have opportunities there, uh, like the opportunity to play hockey. So, uh, but yeah, I think there are more schools, and you're right. I mean, there's almost nothing in the Cincinnati area and uh, that is public. Um, obviously, you have a handful of ranks, but it would be nice if more schools did jump on the hockey bandwagon, but it seems like instead more schools are trying to jump on the lacrosse bandwagon because you've already got the field. Mm. You know, you the cost is much, much lower, and it's another up-and-coming sport that the OHSAA is, is getting on board with, or at least will be soon. I think they did just sanction them as a sport, so... It, the sad thing is that's absolutely right. I mean, it, with hockey, really until you get like real far north, like almost in the lake up mm-hmm. north, uh, schools don't have their own rink. You have to rely on other rinks. I mean, South Metro used to be the home of Alter. They moved over to Kettering in the past few years. But Centerville and Springboro play there. You got your youth hockey associations. Troy's got Hobart Arena. That's like the ideal situation. I mean, you have a beautiful venue with tons of history, and the Trojans get that basically all to themselves. They also shared with, you know, their youth hockey association and, you know, public skates and, you know, City of Troy, of course. But, right. Uh, Kettering, they have to um, split it with Alter and Beaver Creek, and uh, University of Dayton plays there. Uh, Sports Plus, they have they have Sycamore, they have Mason, St. Xavier moved over because there's a locker room, there's the Swords, of course. Elder right. and Moeller are at uh, Northland Ice Center, and the former LaSalle Lancers, now part of the Swords, they're at Sports Plus now. And I hope I didn't leave any other team out. That... <laughs> I'm sure they'll be in touch if you left somebody out. Uh, you know, I, I, but it's right. You're you're exactly right. I mean, there's there's even places that have more ranks. That's it's competing. You're competing against the public. You're competing against other schools. Uh, it's just that's a lot to you. You don't have that extra time. You don't have a dedicated place for kids to go on their off time and just work on skills and you know that's a big part of it is, is being able to have that individual instruction uh, to, especially when they're young. So that's the other thing too, is you're not, it doesn't even count working, you know, trying to get youth teams and, and build them up. So it's, I, I hope it happens someday because I love hockey and I would love to be able to go to Columbus and see uh, the entire state represented, or at least this part of the state represented a little more um, instead of it always being the, the Toledo and Cleveland show with the occasional Columbus team getting to the semifinals and, usually not faring so well in the semifinals, but uh, it would be great if it was it was much more of a statewide thing, and maybe someday it will be, but it's probably still a ways away. I mean, someone's going to have some deep pockets if they want this to happen. It's going to take some time. Me, personally, I want to see girls' hockey explode because women's yes. hockey is awesome, but the thing is, you can't have girls' hockey until boys' hockey's all caught up, and I hate saying that, but mm. it's just when when you have one hockey team struggling to, you know, claim space, you can't think about two. And that's, that's what stinks. You're right. And then that's, but again, that's where, and again, this is a whole nother podcast for another day, but (laughs) you know, until you get 
a women's profession because there's so many issues the women's professional leagues and the one league folded and and you have the players association for women's hockey wanting to kind of wait and see because they want to tie their wagon to an nhl sponsored league like the wnba is to the nba so it's it you know until they get their act together and actually get a viable women's professional hockey league you're not going to see the the trickle down benefits that we've seen with the nhl or even minor leagues where they've built these rinks and they've reinvested in the community and they get girls involved at the lower levels of hockey. Uh, you're just not going to see that the, the NHL teams, they try and they do the best they can, but uh, there isn't a proportionate balance of, of boys and girls yet, but hopefully that's something that'll happen. Uh, and sooner rather than later, because you're right. Women's hockey is great. I love watching it in the Olympics. I wish, and, I, and you know, the world championships and, I wish it was something that uh, had a, a professional league that was much more widespread so that you can spread the game of hockey and continue to, as someone who's a big proponent of girls' athletics, having coached softball and tennis and, and broadcasted women's basketball, uh, the more of it, the better. And it's good for girls to be able to see that they too can uh, follow in these in the footsteps of these women that came before them and have a future because um, you know, we talk about it all the time representation is important you need to see people that are like you having that success so you know that it's actually possible for you absolutely and right now there are a couple of teams that have girls players on and you know what all of them rock because mm -hmm. it's why else are you going to get the opportunity and um, I've seen a couple. I know, oh, who was that team? Olentangy. They had a, uh, a female goalie. Centerville okay. had a uh, female forward. It was a lot of fun watching her grow into the sport. Um, who else? I know I'm forgetting someone. Someone had a female defender, and she was really good. I'm trying to think nice. who that was. Was that Olentangy Orange? I don't know. I mean, yeah. we, we I mean, that's – we can get into girls wrestling even. <laughs> sure, that's another topic. Like I said, I feel like we, we've got enough to, to fill a several podcasts on the topic. <laughs> but it, I, hope it's, I hope it's something that continues to grow. And my fear, and, and this isn't even something we're probably going to touch on today, but it's a, a relevant topic, especially after Wright State just recently uh, got rid of their softball team and their men's and women's tennis team, is mm -hmm. you fear that the support for women's athletics is is going to be dwindling because these budgets are getting smaller. And I know Title IX keeps some of them afloat because the schools can only cut so far, but sometimes it's not even about getting rid of the program. It's about reducing a, a program's budget to the point where they can't succeed anymore, even if you have a program in name. So yeah. uh, I worry about that. I hope that we can get through this pandemic at some point, whether, you know, whatever it takes so that the college athletics at, at this level continues to thrive and especially uh, women's college athletics and it continues to grow and doesn't stagnate because of, of these budget cuts. I mean, since I graduated Wright State, I, I've seen two of the sports that I work get cut swimming and diving in softball. And it, mm -hmm. it's heartbreaking because softball, that last year might have been, you know, a tough year. But at the same mm -hmm. time, with all the talent and all the local talent we were getting, we're getting a lot of Cincinnati kids from Lebanon. Oh, yeah. And just to see it go close up, I, I hope it's temporary and I hope softball comes back. But. Who's to say? I don't know. Uh, all I right. know is it was a tough day for everyone that supported the green and gold just because that 
softball's pretty good at Wright State. and Yeah, and that, it's tough for all of us in the area. Yeah. Whether you're coaching softball, whether you're a fan of Northern Kentucky, nobody wants to see uh, any programs at this level disappear. And obviously, as a tennis coach, I definitely don't want to see tennis programs go away because mm. uh, those are – I mean, they're non-revenue sports, so we get it. You know, there's a lot more expenses – uh, then you're ever going to bring in money. Some of those programs probably don't even bring in a dime. And in a lot of cases, especially like for Wright State, for Northern Kentucky, and certainly all the schools north, a lot of cases you've got to rent out facilities to play home matches in because you yep. can't play outdoors. And some, some seasons you may not even ever get outdoors until maybe the Horizon League tournament. So that's that's a lot of expense that goes into that, and it's a shame to see it go. And I hope a lot of these cuts are temporary or you start seeing fundraising efforts like you've seen at Bowling Green, uh, Alabama Huntsville, able to raise enough money to, to bring their hockey program back. Like you hope to see more of that and maybe Wright State will get on the board for that and uh, bring some of these programs back. I hope so too. I, I think I read somewhere that, in, what was it, one year, two years, three years, uh, you have to have a plan to get back above the line to stay in D1. And I okay. know, and I know Wright State's not going to want to jump back down after getting no. into D1. I, I, you see it very rarely, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I have a feeling that softball will be back at some point, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I just talk. I, I announce. <laughs> I broadcast. I have this podcast, and that's pretty much all I do. I'm just spitballing at this point. But well, and 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 I hope people realize because sometimes yeah, I'll get messages. Well, what's going on with this, or what's going on with that, like. I mean, we do have some connections with these schools, but a lot of times we know we find out about this stuff when the public finds out about this stuff. It's not like uh, every so often we might hear a rumor about something, but you know they don't typically. Our broadcasters, at least at Northern Kentucky, we're all contracted. We don't. I don't work on campus. I'm only really there during games and the occasional practice. But um, you know, we we don't always have an idea of what's going on behind the scenes. You just hope for the best and. Yep. Uh, I certainly hope for the best for those programs and, and hopefully we don't see any more, but I think unfortunately uh, if the fall sports season doesn't start like it's supposed to, I don't, I think we're going to see more of them at schools that size because uh, it's going to be hard for programs to continue to run if they're not able to have seasons in the fall. I worry too. I mean, <laughs> I, I've been saying, I hope there's high school football just because I get to yes. Cincinnati and broadcast, but uh, fall season for me, it's always the best seasons. When it gets cooler, soccer's mm-hmm. abound. I'll fill in at some volleyball, right state. It's, I I love fall season. Well, there's yeah. not a season I don't love. So there you go. But yeah, I I sincerely hope we find a way out of this pandemic. And did you see the news about University of Houston? having to stop practices because they weren't testing for the coronavirus? No, I did not. Uh, that, uh, but again, that's the stuff you worry about. Like mm-hmm. these schools are trying to put together a pandemic plan. I mean, we have one for tennis. We have certain things that we have to do as far as uh, limiting the number of groups and keeping people six feet apart and things like that. Uh, but for colleges, a lot of cases, it does involve testing. I did not hear that, but that, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, schools unfortunately at that level when you get to the d1 level i'm not saying everybody's cheating because that's you know but you know everybody's trying to do what they can to get things moving and unfortunately in some cases that's going to probably involve bending the the regulations and schools that get caught are probably going to pay a pretty pretty stiff fine for that matt what are some of your favorite things about sports locally 
you know, I, I, I love the rivalries. I, you know, we talk about high school football. Uh, there's nothing better to me than great rivalries for years. Blanchester and Clinton Massey had a great rivalry. Unfortunately, uh, Blanchester kind of had a downturn in their program about the same time Massey was winning state titles. So, uh, that got put on the back burner for a couple of years. They played for the cider keg. It started back in, uh, 1964. I think, uh, it, you know, those, rivalry games to me are so much fun. And then you have great stories. Uh, I got a chance to cover the Blanchester boys basketball team last year. I think they went uh, 21 and one the regular season. It's the best season. Blanchester basketball to be blunt about it has been mostly pretty terrible forever. Uh, they've had some seasons where they were okay, but uh, they've got a kid by the name of Braden Sipple who uh, will almost certainly play somewhere at the Division One level. How high, I think that's still to be determined. But uh, he had a good supporting cast around him. They won a lot of games. Obviously, they got in the tournament. They lost. You, you know, there's a lot of good basketball teams in Division Two, and they ran into one of them right off the bat. Uh, but the the season, you know, packing that gym out, uh, you see – you go to these places and I'm sure you do too, but you know, I go to cover games, you know, out in Highland County and, and these small gyms that small towns that are, you know, a couple thousand people. And you think that every one of them, every person in that town is probably in that gymnasium on a Friday night because it's a big rivalry game or it's something going on that, that everybody's there because it's as much a social event as it is a sporting contest. And, that's a lot of fun to me to walk into a gym and it's just packed to the rafters with people. And, um, you know, these kids get a chance to perform in front of their, their local fans. And that may, it's probably my favorite thing is that the community nature of high school sports, uh, small college sports. Uh, I think it's especially right now when uh, we all need a little good news in our life uh, <laughs> from here, from uh, with everything going on. Uh, it would be great to get back to that. And I really hope that this fall we, we get back to uh, getting our communities together and, and having a lot of fun watching and covering high school sports. I tell you, we could really use some good news right now. Normally, <laughs> normally by now I have my fall schedule planned, and there we go. The yeah, course, my, I'm sorry, what? I was going to say, mine's pretty empty at the moment other than <laughs> some – I mean, I have a tennis schedule, but, you know, I think – Nobody really knows whether that's going to happen or is it going to be delayed. What's going to ha- what is going to happen if some schools come back and some don't? Uh, we're you know we try to put our head down and go business as usual, but I don't think anybody has a clue. And uh, it's probably going to be closer to August before we start to have a clue. It's uh, we've never been through anything like this before, <laughs> especially in our lifetime. It's it's all kind of a take one step at a time, and you know learn and do the best you can really it's absolutely i think that's the scariest thing it's not even the coronavirus itself which that seems pretty scary but it's just we're not knowing what's going to happen that's i hate that yeah uncertainty is the hardest part i mean adversity when you know it's coming is is tough to deal with but at least you can plan for it Uh, all you can do right now is just try to make good decisions for these kids and for the adults and I, I would. I told everybody back in March it would listen. You know, right after the Horizon League basketball tournament, I get back and everything's starting to shut down. So you know, it's easy. The easy decision to shut things down. The hard decision is to know when to open things back up. And I would not want to be the person making those decisions. And uh, for for Jerry Snodgrass, for 
the the state officials, the health officials that have to make these calls and and they have to get it right. And that's the hard part. You don't know. You don't you can't you know that it can't stay shut down, but you can't get it wrong for fear that that you could cause a lot of problems. So I don't envy those people that have to make those decisions. I'm glad I'm not one of them. <laughs> um, but we just have to get our kids ready um, and just be ready for whatever's going to happen and uh, try to make the best of it. Hopefully it's normal. Hopefully we get rolling in August and it's a fall sports season like we were used to. But uh, we also have to prepare for the possibility that it won't be. Matt, what would you like to see in the future for Cincinnati-Dayton area sports and media? I would love to see – I wish there were more local radio stations in this area. Yes. I mean, I know there's a lot of internet stuff, there, and that's great. I love to see uh, a lot of streaming. I love to see schools that are getting involved in that. I really wish there was more over-the-air radio. I wish there was more schools – not just doing a broadcast, not just throwing two kids in an iPad and a press box, but actually bringing people in to help them learn how to broadcast, to understand what they're doing, to try to teach them, to, to give you a feeder program before you get into college and, and get some of that experience. I would love to see uh, more opportunities for high school kids, for young college kids to get out there, whether it's writing, whether it's videoing, uh, whatever it might be public address announcing i you know that's really where i got my first start i and i still to this day why on earth they did this i have no idea but they let a freshman in high school get on the pa and do high school basketball blanchester <laughs> back in 1993 and they were out of their ever loving mind because i couldn't imagine putting a freshman behind a microphone and letting them do that and i'm forever grateful because it's kind of what got the ball rolling but uh but I, that's, you know, now a lot of these schools just pick an adult and they put them in the microphone. And I get it because, you know, that an adult's not going to do anything crazy and they're going to be responsible and you can, you know, control them a little more. But, man, I would love it if some of these high school kids got that chance. I mean, you know, that's part of the high school experience, too, is is them getting a chance to write and broadcast and announce and all that stuff in high school just like the high school basketball players are getting a chance to prepare themselves maybe for college, let the, the media kids as well get that same opportunity. And I, I would always be on board if, and if anybody locally ever wanted me to, to give them my two cents or, or be of any help at all, uh, I would always be willing to do that because there were people willing to do that for me. And uh, I'm, I'm forever grateful for anybody who was willing to look at something and say, this is terrible, but here's how you can make it good. Uh, I would always be happy to, to do that for somebody else. Matt, for those that are interested in becoming either a broadcaster or a journalist, what advice can you give? My advice would be to get involved in as many things as you can. I mean, we talked at the beginning about my schedule, even to this day, uh, I'm involved in a lot of different things. I, you know, when you go into college, I think everybody's worried about well, picking a major and knowing what you want to do. If you want to get involved in, in broadcasting or journalism, you get to college, get involved in every which way you can, whether it's join the student newspaper, learn how to report, learn what journalism standards are, Join the student new, uh, radio station. Be a DJ. You know, learn how that works. You know, if you get to do sports, that's great. Uh, 
learn how to videotape, learn how to do a stand-up report. You Maybe you find a career as a reporter or an anchor because a lot of those uh, field reporters, a lot of those are entry-level jobs in some markets. That's a good way to learn to be a one-person crew that goes out shoots video of news stories. Uh, basically, trying to get your hands in everything and make connections, talk to people. I think when I first went to OU years and years ago, um, I didn't do that as much as I should have. I didn't network. I didn't really try to uh, talk to people who had been there and get my name in, in, in their minds so that uh, you get a chance and get a phone call someday. I, at NKU, the second time, I didn't make that mistake. I met and tried to be friends with as many people as I could at the university. Uh, that way, when an opportunity came available, they know, oh, okay, I know him. I know what he's going to do. I at least know he's going to be professional. We'll give him a shot. Uh, so do as many things as you can, network as much as possible. It's okay if you have the anxiety and you don't make a lot of friends because I've been that way my whole life. And sometimes meeting new people is uh, is just a disaster for me, but, uh, but get over it. I mean, and it's easy for me to say, but I mean, that's kind of the way I have to look at it sometimes is, you know, you just jump in and, you know, don't be afraid to introduce yourself to somebody and, and make them know who you are and, just have fun. It's so much fun. Uh, journalism is so important, even sports journalism. Uh, we need young people to, to jump into that field and continue to grow it. And uh, I think that, that that's a long way to get to the answer, but that, you know, that would be my advice is get involved and, and network as much as possible. How can people follow your work and you on social media? Uh, they can find me mostly on Twitter. Uh, my ha my Twitter handle is Matt Sexton PXP. Uh, I probably won't change it again. I've changed it a couple of times, but I think that that'd be a good play to find me. Uh, otherwise, you can catch me on ESPN3 and ESPN Plus uh, uh, for Northern Kentucky games. We don't travel uh, with the team, so I'm mostly doing home contests, but uh, that's pretty much where they can find me. And, and I'm I'm really a Twitter person, probably too much sometimes. Uh, but I'm always uh, happy to get messages and stuff on there so people can reach out to me there. Matt, this has been a great interview. I've uh, <laughs> I've had a lot of fun. Thank you for your time today. Oh, no problem. I think we, we probably went farther off the script than we <laughs> intended at the beginning when you sent that to me, but I really enjoyed it. I uh, hope we get a chance to do it again because there's a lot of different topics uh, I love to talk about and uh, had a lot of fun and uh, – Wish continued success to you and, and to your podcast, which is doing an awesome job. Thank you, Matt. And here's to your continued success with uh, NKU and everything, all right? I appreciate it. That'll wrap up episode 163 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. Talk to you again for episode 164. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. To subscribe to the podcast, please visit the leewmowen.com slash podcast. From there, you can choose your favorite platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and many more. Interact with the podcast and host on Twitter at the Lee W. Mowen and at Sunday Pod. Like the Facebook page, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and download the free Flick Chat app, then search 
for the local Sunday sports group to submit your future Mowins mailbag questions. The closing theme is Lights Go Down by Dan Hennig, provided by the YouTube Music Library Collection. This is Lee W. Mowin, and I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please join me again next week on the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. <laughs>